Hey everyone, Brain on Sports is brought to you by T-Mobile. The baseball season is upon us. T-Mobile customers can sign up for a season-long subscription to MLB.TV Premium. Sign up by April 10 at T-Mobile.com MLB or sign up at MLB.TV while on T-Mobile's network. We're also brought to you by Harry's Razors. They are superior razors and they are shipped straight to your door. They are half the drugstore prices at least. More than half if you live in Manhattan. Get $5 off your first offer with the code YOURBRAIN at harrys.com. Again, $5 off your first offer with the code YOURBRAIN. Go to harrys.com. Third sponsor this week is FanDuel. And now that baseball is back, you can try the fun and competition of daily fantasy risk-free. We'll tell you more about that in a second. Risk-free, up to 10 bucks. Go to fanduel.com. Enter the code BRAIN. it back to almost a sort of a primitive tribalism, you know, that we kind of feel this allegiance to people that are associated with our group, however broadly defined you want it to be. Anybody that shares that commonality with us is somebody that we feel a bond to. And so these people, even if they aren't necessarily people we know, they still reflect and represent our community. And that's a part of who we are. And so they're our representatives. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It's This Is Your Brain on Sports, our podcast on the Sports Illustrated Network. My co-conspirator, Sam Summers, has the week off, but I'll be talking with Ed Hurt, a professor of psychology of psychological and brain sciences at Indiana University. He's done some really groundbreaking work in the sports space, particularly how it relates to fandom. I figured after the Final Four, the conclusion of college basketball with baseball season upon us, it was a great time to talk to Professor Hurt. So without further ado, let's bring him in. So I, I mentioned in the intro that you've really done some groundbreaking work in, in fandom. So why don't we just start here? I mean, to what extent are you a sports fan? Oh, very much. Uh, I think, you know, just like a physician, you know, go into it because they have their own issues. I think I became a sports fan and started doing research in this because I wanted to pursue something I cared about. So definitely very much. So I figured we'd start macro, and then we can get into some of the specifics. Why, okay. why do we why do we care about rooting? I mean, what is it about sports? I mean, when people just sort of top level, people say, "Tell me about your work in the sports space," and in terms of being a fan, what what do you tell them? What are sort of the the bullet points to start with? Well, I mean, I think we all have to pursue different kind of passions, and one of the things that's really wonderful about sports, I think, for many of us, is just the uncertainty of it and the you know, the emotionality of it. I mean, any of us that are really addicted to, you know, the recent March Madness kind of thing. I mean, this past season particularly had a bunch of, you know, barn burner finishes, including the final. Um, and just as a as a person who appreciates athleticism, maybe you played, but also just the uncertainty of, you know, on any given day, something can happen. Uh, you know, the favorite doesn't always win. We can find underdogs, we can find Cinderella's. I mean, there's so many things about sports that are so appealing to us that, you know, it's even in situations where you don't enter even in with an allegiance to a particular kind of team, you can easily build them up by just watching a game. Uh, I, you know, I just think that the emotionality of it is something that's really addicting and, and very fun. Do you have definitional sort of guidelines? If somebody said, I- I'm a fan, 
do you, do you take yeah. them at their word, or are there certain thresholds they have to meet? But what's the difference between your and, and my following Indiana basketball versus maybe our spouses? For me, one of the things that I really link it to is, is the idea of, of what role does a particular kind of allegiance or fanship mean to your identity. So if it becomes a part of how you identify yourself, both how you think of yourself and how you identify yourself with other people, I think that's where, you know, somebody would be considered a fan. Um, you know, how, 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 how there's degrees, obviously, in terms of how important that is in your life, whether you are completely consumed with it and it is almost the sole aspect of how you consider yourself versus it is one of many different identities that you think comprise the kind of person that you are. Some of your work that, that I that I always cite and, and, and quote is that it's not just that fandom impacts mood and, you know, when our team succeed, we feel better. When they lose, we feel worse. That, that's sort of intuitive. But these performances of teams even impact our own perception. Yeah, so I, as you said, I mean, one of the things that's so obvious when we're just, you know, videotaping games and stuff is to see the fan reactions. We know it's affecting their mood. We know right. that people's, you know, moods are, are vacillating wildly during games when it's stressful and when their team wins and loses. So that was a, a pretty obvious kind of effect. But what we started wondering was that the extent to which if you really connect yourself to a team and their success seems like a personal success to you, then, you know, if their team wins, does that elevate your kind of sense of the world is good? <laughs> right. I, I, I feel, you know, efficacious. I can, I can make things happen. I feel like, you know, you know, things are going to go well for me. I'm confident about myself. And, you know, I go in with a positive kind of outlook at things as opposed to somebody who after a loss just feels demoralized, but does that carry through to feel like, so, you know, I'm just pessimistic about the world and I kind of feel like I suck and the world kind of sucks. And so I'm not going to be successful at anything. So I won't ask this girl out. I won't do, you know, I, I just want to stay in bed and just like you know, vegetate today because, you know, something bad's going to happen. I always like the word study. Did, wasn't it true that when, when your team lost, you had a lesser perception of how you would succeed in crossword puzzles. I mean, it's not, it's not just, I mean, how you physically attractive you were and your sexual performance, that all sorts of these self-perceptions having nothing to do with sports. Right. You were able to show right. that those, those were impacted by whether the team you root for won or lost. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's pretty much any, any aspect of, of your life. We tried to sample a broad array of things. So kind of your mental skills. So as you said, doing puzzles or doing anagrams or doing other kinds of things. We did it with motor performance, like shooting, you know, mini basketball free throws or throwing darts or other kinds of things. As you said, you know, your relationships with other people. So if you ask somebody out of that day, what's the likelihood that they would say yes or be interested in going out with you? And we even had it in terms of games of chance. Do you feel like you'll be lucky today? Do you think you're going to be successful in that? And it just seemed to carry through more generally that if I'm, you know, after a loss, I just feel like, you know, things are not going to go my way. I'm going to perform poorly. After a win, people were much more confident about their abilities to, to succeed in, in any of those kind of endeavors. How did you even, you know, when I, when I wrote the, um, when I wrote the brain on sports books with Sam Summers, who's experimental psychologist as well, I was really interested in how he set up these experiments. How did you set yeah. this up? I mean, did you, did you show, you know, a hundred undergrads, uh, video of Indiana beating Purdue and then losing to Purdue? How'd you even set this up? Okay. So I had the good fortune and I don't know, I mean, for, for people that have any connection to Indiana, there's a guy over in the media school here named Dolph Silman, who was a psychologist, but, you know, was in the media school. And he had this nice little setup. So we actually were able to bring in people for live games. So, so, you know, 
obviously for home games, everyone's at the game. I mean, in any big Big Ten school, I mean, Indiana's not unusual, but we love basketball here, and any student is still going to go to those games. But away games, people have to go somewhere to do it. So we were able to bring people in on away games in the Big Ten, so every game's important, so they were all conference kind of games. They came in and watched the game, and they were just doing an experiment that involved evaluation of the team's performance. So they watched the games, and they were asked a bunch of questions about how did so-and-so play, how did the team play, how did the offense do, defense do, you know, critique the coaching, you know, all these other kinds of things. So, you know, they're doing something they love, plus they're able to watch the game on a nice big screen TV. And then after that, you know, they'd watched the game. We had the aftermath. We didn't know how it was going to turn out, so we just sampled a bunch of games through the season, as you know. Winning on the road is tough in basketball, so even if it's a good team, you're going to be lucky to go better than 500. So we had a good sample of both wins and losses, and then just uh, asked them to, uh, you know, we, we said, well, there's another little experiment that we'll have you do before you exit here. You know, we pay people to come in, so, you know, they participate in this other thing, and we just asked them, you know, how they thought they would do on a bunch of different tasks that we introduced to them. So we expressed, you know, here's this task that many people have done. You know, here's the range of performance that we've gotten. Somebody's gone as high as this. Somebody's gone as poorly as this. The average performance is this. How do you think you'll do? And we actually had them do it, too, um, after they made their estimates. And as you might expect, if you're going in confident, you might not do as well as, as as you would otherwise. But the tasks are so variable that, you know, typically we didn't get any real differences in terms of how people performed as much as just their expectations going in. And you're talking about, you know, the team I like uh, didn't look so good in Champaign. So, or, you know, in Iowa city, therefore I don't like my odds of uh, having a good game of pool or throwing darts well, or doing these anagrams. Exactly. You know, and so they, they, I mean, we didn't make it salient to them that, you know, we just, it's just after this game, you know, are you still thinking about the game? But the thing is, we do, we ruminate about it. I mean, it can't, it can't help but affect us when we're really aligned with the team. And one of the things that we found that was really nice about this was that the stronger people's allegiance to the team, the more it affected them. So, you know, people who are casual fans who came in as part of this, it doesn't affect you nearly as much as somebody who's the diehard fan who, who really is going to, to be influenced by the team's outcome. Hold that thought. Let's take a quick break. Baseball season is upon us. Each team, of course, plays 162 games. 81 of them are at home. Wish you could catch every one of them. Well, now you can. Only T-Mobile customers get a free year-long MLB.tv premium subscription, a $109 value for free, so they never have to miss a game. Hurry up. Sign up by April 10th to catch any of the out-of-market games all season long. That's right. Over 2,400 games and 7,000 hours of baseball that will never touch your data plan this season. Thanks to Binge On, only from T-Mobile, you can stream your favorite team's games without using any of your data. So get your free MLB.tv premium viewing subscription by April 10. Catch every moment all season long. Switch to the Uncarrier today. And if you're already a T-Mobile customer, then just sign up at T-Mobile.com MLB. Here comes the infomercial disclaimer. Sign up for MLB.tv while on T-Mobile's network. New MLB.tv premium subscribers only. Blackout other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.com TV for details. Binge on is available to T-Mobile customers with a qualifying plan. Detectable video typically streams at DVD quality. Video from participating services doesn't count against full speed data on our U.S. network. Third party subscriptions charges may apply. And of course, don't do any of this without the express written consent of the commissioner's office. So whenever you talk about sports and, and fandom, inevitably 
the Seinfeld line surfaces, rooting for laundry. And I, th- I think there's something there, though. Why do we care to the point that it impacts our self-perception how these athletes who, in a lot of cases, we've never met, in a lot of cases, the NFL in particular, we've never even seen them perform live. Why do sports have this profound effect on us? Well, I mean, there's, there's several different theories. I mean, some people see it back to almost a sort of a primitive tribalism, you know, that we kind of you know, feel this allegiance to people that are associated with our, you know, our, our, you know group, uh, however broadly defined you want it to be. So, it's, you know, you're a little group that lives in this community, which for many of us is the thing, a hometown team, right? Or this is our alma mater where we spent, you know, our high school years or our college years and stuff. I mean, this becomes kind of an important part of who we are and that group, anybody that shares that commonality with us is somebody that we feel a bond to. And so these people, even if they aren't necessarily people we know, they still reflect and represent our community and that's a part of who we are. And so they're our representatives, just as we feel like, you know, there's a real bond between us and the military people that we go that represent us and fight for our country. And we even met those, but we know that they're making a sacrifice for us and they represent our country. Um, you know, so our athletes in the Olympics or whether it's, you know, the people who play professionally or semi-professionally or just, you know, the student athletes that are part of our particular community and stuff, I mean, are the ones that we, uh, you know, we really feel a connection to. And so we're rooting for them because they are a reflection of us. And so, again, their their performance affects us too, right? I mean, so that they do well or they reflect positively or they behave in a, a manner that brings positive kind of evaluation on our group, then... Then, then we sort of benefit from that. Otherwise, you know, if they embarrass us or they perform really poorly, that's a bad reflection on us. Yeah, but I, I feel like they're almost, you know, in, in the, the case of the military, they're, they're material benefits, right? I mean, our yeah. security rests on how effective and efficient the military might be. Even these other self-identifiers we have, right? If it's our school, then, you know, the Villanova degree suddenly might have a value that's, exceeding what it was a week ago after they won the national right. title. Um, why, apart from the fact that I've, I've chosen to self-identify with this group, I mean, why, why would I care if the Seattle Mariners win or lose? I mean, what, what bearing does that ultimately have on my day-to-day life apart from the, the team I like succeeds? What, what, what is it about our, about our investment in sports, I guess, um, that makes it different when, in, realistically, we, d- we don't have a whole lot riding on the outcome? Right. Yeah, I mean— it gets a little trickier to sort of say why I would I would have an allegiance to something that that doesn't have any tangible benefit to me other than you know I kind of I mean I found myself to be somebody who, who very much often you know just had sort of passing allegiances because I liked a, a, a given player or a given person on a, a, a team for various points of time and so the question was what what is that you know for people and I think at some level there's there's a sense of you know, us carving out an identity for ourselves that is unique. You know, I, I like this team and other people don't. And so when they do well, you know, I, I, in some ways I uniquely benefit from this. We've talked in the past about this idea of asking, reflecting glory, that when right, somebody right. else does really well, that, that that reflects, and I'm associated with them in some way, you know, that reflects positively on me. And some of those kind of associations are things that, you know, pretty much you're born into or you kind of, you know, just have to, uh, you know, deal with because you have some commonality with somebody who they grew up in the same place as you or you're related to them or something. But I think sometimes we're really selective about that. And so, you know, we can find really peripheral kind of uh, associations that we can use to sort of link ourselves to somebody else. 
Uh, my old advisor, Bob Cialdini, once did it was just finding out somebody shares a birthday with you. I mean, what, so what? I mean, <laughs> right, you know, you right. share the same zodiac sign or something like that, but that's enough of a reason to say, well, if that person does really well, then all of a sudden that, that identity becomes important to me that we share the same birthday or we share the same zodiac sign. It's like, why do we, I mean, I never cared about it before, but now all of a sudden if I can use it to my benefit because this person did really well, I will, and then I, I definitely don't pay any attention to that or don't want to make that association salient to people when that person does something despicable or does something that would cause a negative association with me. So, I mean, it seems like it's something that we can certainly use to our benefit, and there may be different motivations that sort of make it more uh, appealing to us to sort of draw associations with something else. I think being unique and kind of finding something that's, you know, special to you and that uh, you have these kind of things may be something that many of us seek out at various points in time, too. So I don't know that those things that have as much lasting staying power as the ones that, you know, are these these really set kind of things that reflect our communities or reflect these kind of, as you said, more tangible kind of associations that we have. But at various points in time, I mean, I, you know, those allegiances that you form to things, athletes in different uh, franchises or things like that at various points in time, it's it, they're, they're pretty intense uh, for at least that window of time when that team is together or that, uh, you know, that player is somebody who's, uh, in, you know, garnering a lot of attention. Steph Curry, for example. How many of us cared about Golden State? <laughs> yeah, I, I stayed up. There, I stayed right? up last night. Yeah, exactly. I was up past midnight. No, I, I think you, you mentioned I this word. I was too. I'll admit it. <laughs> that, that, that's strict entertainment as much as anything. Um, True. I mean, True. You, you mentioned this before, and I, I wonder... You know, this is sort of layman's observation, but you you mentioned the uncertain outcomes. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, we have a hundred ways to self-identify, countless ways to self-identify, right? And we've been doing this through religion. I mean, something is, you're right, as flimsy as birthdays and astrological signs, but where we went to school and regionalism and religion, I mean, there are, there are countless ways to self-identify. But yeah. but I don't know too many others. You know, we, we all like Game of Thrones, which, which but I don't, I don't know of too many others where you have these outcomes that you don't know in advance. And I, I wonder how much that fuels the, the fan experience and differentiates it from other ways of self-identifying that we don't know how the game is going to go. You're, you're from, you know, you're, you're in Indiana and, and I'm from Indiana and, and that's, you know, a commonality we have, but right. that's that, that's static. I mean, that's, that's different from, I don't know how Villanova is going to do in this game tonight. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I guess the uncertainty part of sports is something that I know that the media experts have really talked about as being one of the real, nice appealing factors of sports because, you know, I mean, as much as we might say, even in the, in the um, pantheon of, of outcomes and stuff, you know, I mean, maybe with the, the Connecticut women's team, there is really no uncertainty. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> in terms of their performance, preordained. anybody else, certainly, you know, basketball season this year and the whole idea about baseball. I mean, even though your Cubs fans don't want to say it out loud, you know, this may be the year, but I mean, there's a lot of teams who think that this may be their year. The Mets, and you could go through scenarios of lots of different teams. So the beauty of, of the aspirations and the hopes that you have is something that's really appealing to sports. But the same thing is there's no guarantees in any one game. We know that the favorites don't always win. Look at the number one team in, in NCAA basketball throughout this whole season. How many of them got knocked off? Some of them by, by teams that really had no business necessarily beating them but on any given day something can happen somebody can get hot you know the ball bounces a certain way somebody gets injured we you know so many things are unpredictable about it 
which keeps our interest and makes it so dynamic even as the game goes on. I'm a fan of the Cleveland Cavaliers because I've always liked LeBron. They're one of the most schizophrenic teams ever, right? right I mean, this right. season, right? They can they can play a great game and beat the Spurs by 20 points, and then they can go out and play just terrible and lose to anybody, you know? And they have the leads in the first half, and then the second half they'll score like eight points in a fourth quarter at a home game. You and, just and, don't and know that, what you're going to see. And that doesn't so, diminish that doesn't diminish the fan experience. No, in fact, in some ways, it makes it more, I guess, nerve wracking, but also in the sense of. You know, it, it sort of piques your curiosity and, like, are they going to turn it around? They have the talent. Are we going to do this? And, you know, I think any of us that are sports fans in the sense that like to communicate with other people, and it's not only the experience itself about it, but we talk about it and think about it outside of the games themselves in, a, in an incredibly invested kind of way, right? right what do we need to right. do to get some, you know, what kind of changes need to be made? I mean, we're. We're armchair quarterbacks. We're you know sideline coaches. We're you know making all these decisions of trades and and lineup changes and other kinds of you know coaching and you know GM kind of changes that need to be made to get ourselves back where we are. And you know it's just something that's so investing in that many and so many people want to talk about it. You can share this with other people and we can communicate about it in a way that's really um, quite. Uh, you know, addicting, I think, actually, in the sense that it, it is something that we know talk radio, we know that people are constantly kind of with fantasy and with other kinds of things, you know, talking about this and communicating with other people who share that same, um, you know, interest and passion. It's it's just really um, an amazing industry <laughs> we've cultivated with sports. All right, let's pause for a second and pay some bills. Hey, have you ever asked yourself why razors are the only products in drugstores that are locked behind a plexiglass case? It's not because they are legality issues. It's because they are really, really expensive, and people are more likely to steal them than just about any other product in the drugstore. That's why two guys started Harry's.com. They sell high-quality blades that provide a close, comfortable shave for half the price you're used to. At least I was sent a Harry's razor several weeks ago, and I am officially a convert. It is the closest shave I have ever gotten. I have yet to change the blade. It is really an exceptional shaving experience, and if it saves me from having to go to the drugstore, so much the better. The prices are factory direct. There's no middleman here, so stop getting ripped off, and here's how you're going to do it. Harry's will send you a starter set. For just 15 bucks. you get a razor handle, foaming shave gel, and three of Harry's five blade German-engineered razors. For listeners of this show, Harry's is giving you $5 off your first purchase with the promo code YOURBRAIN. That's right. Go to harrys.com, harrys.com. Use the promo code YOURBRAIN at checkout. Let them know who sent you, and you will get that razor, that shaving kit at $5 off. Are, are there any analogs that you can think of? I mean, it's, it, you're right. I mean, you, you think about other other passions. No, nobody says they're, they're not talk radio devoted to whether our favorite band needs a new bass player or whether they need to right. change their, their set list. Um, it, it does seem like the level of engagement in sports is, is unique. I mean, are there, are there other areas of, I don't want to say fandom, but sort of self-identification that you've looked at that come close to mirroring this? Well, the closest thing I can think of just because of the timeliness of it right now is politics. Because obviously people are still talking about you know, the the political arena and what needs to be done. And it's that, that kind of thing of it being so investing in, in terms of engaging with people and the link, you know, the, the strong kind of allegiance that people have to a particular candidate that we think, you know, often those of us that don't share it just think these people are insane, right? I mean, in some ways we think of fanaticism and in sports, it's like, how can you like 
Trump? How can you like you know this particular candidate because they seem to us to be somebody who's so unappealing or says all these crazy things or whatever? But you know that same kind of almost zealot kind of nature of of people who are uh, elite allegiant in those uh, situations is somewhat similar to it. But you're right, there aren't many. <laughs> I mean, we think of religion as being a domain in which that's the case, um, and, and certainly with cults or some you know group where where people are again very much you know unique about it i mean uh and have beliefs that aren't necessarily shared by other people we may label them similarly in terms of having these same kind of features that we kind of associate with sports fandom but there aren't many yeah i just uh, you, I you know the, the um the the politics is interesting and obviously there's there's a huge intersect even in jargon between how we're, we follow sports and how we follow politics the only difference i i'd point out the big difference is that there's vested self-interest and there's sort of real material impact and whether my right. tax bill goes yeah. up or down or whether there's going to be stricter you know, restrictions when I want to buy guns, that's a lot different than, yeah. boy, the, I wish the Hoosiers hadn't uh, lost in the second round. L- let me ask you, and I don't know if you studied this or just sort of in- intuitively as a professor of psychology, how has the fact that sports has gotten to be such big business and all that comes with it, whether it's the, the Rams up and leaving for L.A., or whether it's the fact that the college team now recruits nationally, one-and-dones, I mean, you can go down the list. I mean, how, how much has the fact that sports has become so much uh, of a commerce product, how has that impacted fandom, do you think? Yeah, I mean, you would think, and certainly if people talk about it, it seems to be a negative. I mean, again, I'm very much based on that. The sort of college things and some of the things you alluded to, the one-and-done thing. I mean, one of the big scandals we had here was that the IU-Kentucky rivalry and, and trying to, you know, that thing got terminated and what was the rationale for that? And it was basically because Calipari doesn't want to play in assembly ball. Got him in the tournament. Fight, but I don't want to go, you know, have a home-and-home home kind of series. It's like, well, isn't it negative for us to go play there? But right. anyway, I mean, it's just an interesting kind of thing where the, the politicalization of it and just the sort of business side of it, uh, you know, just just smacks people as like taking away the purity of what we what we love about it. And I think, again, the whole idea about contracts and players not staying there and, you know, do you not, you know, uh, retain, you know, the guys that we, you know, I grew up in Cincinnati and, you know, the fact that they were able to keep for many, many years that same big red machine together. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. And so the likelihood that you're going to be able to sustain a, a, a baseball team for a long period of time with free agency and with all the other kinds of, you know, and then the other sports salary caps and other kinds of things that you have to do it. I mean, it, it's sad to us that we can't kind of preserve those kinds of things that we sort of look, look back on, you know, the past of sports being able to sort of have those dynasties. Um, so, the, so that part does smack us. But the thing is, it seems like we're able to compartmentalize it. So, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, we're not seeing a drop-off in people having interest in these things because of those factors. They may complain about them, right? But it doesn't seem to be sufficient enough that at some level we're able to sort of complain about it and put it to the side. But the thing is, the appeal of the experience itself and of the allegiance and stuff is strong enough that it keeps us there, even though we, we grouse about these other factors. It's funny. I was looking at our traffic on our website, um, and one of the most traffic stories was Sam Hinkie resigning as yeah. you know, the Philadelphia 76ers. And I'm thinking that... In another era, nobody has particularly strong opinions about the general manager. They should have made a trade. They should have made this trade. In some ways, I, I feel like in, in some ways, 
the big business of sports has created this whole other component of being a fan where we care about cap space and we care about tanking in the draft and the, the finance aspect in some ways turns us off. And in other ways, I think it, it almost enhances the fan experience. Yeah. I mean, we certainly have access to so much more information that, that, and, and people are, you know, insane about, about being able to keep up with every little, you know, tidbit of information. So, you know, one of the things for our community is, is recruiting. I mean, we didn't really, I mean, you, you might be able to get some insider information, but, but the whole idea about recruiting and, you know, people's, you know, recruiting people two or three years down the road or, you know, this whole idea of who's going to stay, who's going to go and right. people are potentially considering, you know, people are sampling for information. They want to know it now. They don't want to wait for, you know, the paper to report it, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, six weeks from now, they want to know right now, is Thomas Bryant coming back to IU, right? We need to know this right now and we're going to find our sources. And there's ways of getting that information now that is, is really, uh, you know, something that if you're motivated enough, you're going to be able to sample it. And so, you know, our investigative reporting kind of side to us and the wanting to know right now. I mean, I think the Internet has made information at our fingertips so that if we're motivated to do it, you can probably find it. And so it keeps us invested and it keeps us, sort of, you know, as it says, keeps it active in our, in our memory that we're pursuing a lot of this kind of stuff, you know, right then versus waiting until, you know, something gets communicated by traditional sources that we would often have to wait for in the past. Is Thomas Bryan coming back to IU? Yeah. That's what was announced yesterday. One more year out of him. Um, are yeah, there right. other ways? I mean, you, you see, you know, I, I can get a, a New York Mets credit card when I go to uh, to City Field. But it, it doesn't seem as though franchises and leagues have maxed out the potential for all this, this self-identifying and all of this basking and reflected glory. Are there other ways you can think of for fans and leagues and teams to even solidify all this? I mean, how, how, do, how does ownership capitalize, you know, on this, this sort of unique state that fandom is? Yeah, that, I mean, obviously there's a rich market here that we think has been tapped in lots of ways, as you said, to just put anything with an insignia or emblem on it. I mean, certainly we know we wear clothing and people want, the, you know, the authentic stuff, just like the pros wear, as opposed to some knockoff. I mean, you know, if they uh, at all, it's possible to do that. People... You know, I know in your book you wrote about you know the people that are able to even get connections with people and have have them come and be a party. I mean, all these <laughs> right, kind of right. things to make that more accessible to people um, and, and to be able to make that that uh, connection more visible. I know you know people have talked about different memorabilia that people want to have. So you know, for us here at IU, you know, people may want a piece of the floor, right? Or you know, want from you know the parquet floor of you know. Boston Garden or something, you know, whatever. I mean, those kind of things that, that allow you to sort of remember key moments. My wife has a picture of Christian Watford shot, you know, to be Kentucky, you know, you have this in your I mean, because so people can look at these things and sort of do it. And so any kind of thing that we can have that links ourselves to the team are things we want to display. And, you know, people have done this for years and they continue to market it. But I think there's new avenues of making it even more emotional, even more personalized. I mean, people want right. things that are autographed, right? And that there's certificates of authenticity and, and stuff just to be able to say, this isn't just something, it's actually something that's personal. And I was there, or this person gave it to me, or this person endorsed it for me. And so anything we can do to do that, obviously, is something that, that makes it even more uh, strongly uh, an association for us and something that uh, 
we proudly display to other people. But keep, keep going with that, because I've, I've always been interested in that. I mean, what is that tapping into? When, when you have D- David Wright signs my kid's glove, and right. it just looks like scribbles on a Sharpie, and even if it is clearly David Wright, what, what, is, that, what is that forwarding? What is, what is that sort of in service of? Autographs have always baffled me. Um, what is that sort of tapping into? Well, I think, you know, I, I mean, even though we're saying it's pretty easy for people to have these kind of associations with others and bask in reflected glory, I mean, the more personal it is, the more credit you can take, I think. And I don't think, actually, research-wise, we've really emphasized that, but I think the strength of that association is one that other people cannot really take away ever from us. So if I say, I went to the same, I'm from the same hometown, or I went to the same school as somebody, the natural question that then follows is, did you ever, did you know, do you yeah, know right, them? Exactly. Do you, do you right. meet with them? I mean, do they hang out with you? I mean, are you friends or whatever? Or is it just, you know, you're just kind of pointing out something that, you know, this person was in the hallway at some point when I was there. Right, and, right. You know, we overlap in some really tangential way. And so I think, you know, the idea of having something that that person, you know, used, I mean, we think of the kid kind of response is always funny of like, you know, I found something that, you know, somebody, a, a sweat rag there, you know, a, that, that somebody used and stuff. And so I like use it or I like protect it. It's like, who wants that? I mean, yeah, no, you, you see, you see you the really athletes, right. But Please, the my wristband. Used it, right, right. That makes it special. And so, I mean, I think the autograph thing or having something, a picture of you with that or selfie with, you know, you taking out with somebody that nobody can deny. You were personally right there with them. And so, they may want to know what to talk about, you know, what they like in person. But, I mean, it gives you much more opportunity to sort of build up that esteem and that connection with somebody else that, you know, somebody can't take away. And so any visual representation of that, whether it's a autograph or a picture or something that you have that really shows that personal connection, that's that's golden in the sense of if you want to bask in reflect right. the glory. No, I was going to say, like, this, this goes beyond. Right, right. Yeah, this this goes beyond uh, a conversational, right? This goes beyond right. what, what what was athlete X really like. I mean, this this goes to self esteem issues and some of the what we were talking about before, some of the personal success failure. It is mid April, which means that baseball is back. The Mets have already lost multiple games to the Royals. There is exuberant optimism for the Cubs. We're all waiting to see what the Don Mattingly Barry Bonds combo in Florida will do. It's a crack of the bat. It's freshly mowed grass. It's beer, it's hot dogs, and of course, it's daily fantasy baseball. If you're not playing FanDuel this season, you're missing out on the most fun a baseball fan can have. On FanDuel, you choose. Do I want to win cash from fans around the world, or do I want to start a listener league with my friends? Either way, you're the GM, you get your Billy Bean on, you set your lineup. Entry fees start at just a buck. There's no season-long commitment. You can play one day, you can play all 180 days, plus the postseason. And here's the best part. FanDuel is giving new players their first game risk-free. Here's what you do. Just go to FanDuel.com, enter the code BRAIN, then enter a FanDuel league, start with one of your friends, and if you don't win in your first contest, you get that 10 bucks right back. Consider that a free at-bat. That's FanDuel.com, enter my code BRAIN, a risk-free tournament up to 10 bucks. Let me ask you two more questions. I mean, you you have made a name for yourself in the sports field, and I think uh, I've talked to an economist about this, too. They say, for, for better or worse, you write something about sports, and it's in the New York Times, and you do much more substantive work on sort of less sexy topics, and 100 people might read about it in the uh, you know, Copenhagen Journal of Economics. But you, but you do a lot in sort of the, the space of motivation and performance. And 
when you see the sports performance overlap, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the sports business books or coaches on the corporate circ- on the corporate speaking circuit, how, how much substance is there? I mean, do you, do you roll your eyes or is this an intuitive link? What's been wonderful for me professionally is that sports is such a, uh, an interesting avenue by which to study some basic questions. Exactly. So right, I, right. Think, I think being able to, to use sports as the vehicle to be able to study some basic questions. So as you said, I'm interested in motivational kind of questions and how people, and self-esteem and how people you know, themselves perform and how they you know, orient themselves to, to situations. Because one of the issues that obviously we always have anybody who's a teacher and stuff is how do you motivate your students? How do you get them to be engaged as opposed to situations where it's like, you do it all for me. And if I fail, it's your fault rather than, you know, taking the personal kind of investment and I have to make this happen, et cetera. So, I mean, sports is such an interesting avenue to be able to study things because people are performing. There are expectations there and people have to be motivated. So for me, it's just a nice opportunity to study some basic questions in a context that I care about and a lot of other people care about, whereas, you know, doing it in kind of a more kind of, eh, you know, less sexy, but potentially also one that's just drier that people don't have the same kind of emotionality with is, it has always been, uh, you know, an opportunity, I think, just to, just to be able to wed a couple of things that are, you know, our, our passions and stuff for me uh, together. But I think that, you know, I mean, there are some unique things about any domain, and sports clearly, as we said, is, is very unique in many different ways, but it is illustrative of a lot of the basic kind of human nature things that we tend to see across many aspects of life. Right. No, I, that, that, that was well said. I, mean, I, I figure you're you're approaching this at a much higher level, and at some level it's, it's, it seems intuitive, hey, Phil Jackson had great success as an NBA coach, he'd be a good person to motivate the sales force or to go right. talk to the Microsoft offsite. But I wonder when someone in your position that really knows the the, the psychology and, and the neuroscience and sort of has a much deeper sense whether when you see this this sports business overlap, the sports performance overlap, um, you're, you're shaking your head or, or it makes sense to you? Yeah, I mean, it's something we've known about for, for, for a long time. It's just that who are people going to pay the most attention to, right? I mean, some talking head who's, who may be very, you know, uh, knowledgeable, but they're not dynamic, or they don't have this, you know, history, or they don't have, you know, the sort of uh, resume that attracts people's interest in wanting to see what they're like and listen to them. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't bother me in the sense that I think a lot of those people probably have unique things to say. But what's interesting is I think sometimes people don't want to hear things from from people who are knowledgeable just because they don't have the same dynamism or they don't have that resume. So it doesn't bother and begrudge anything for those people. And I don't think that what they say necessarily is any less particularly valid as much as it's just kind of interesting that we sometimes pay so little attention to experts or other people that just don't have that. And we've seen in many situations with, you know, who are the endorsers of products, who are the people that, you know, we have and draw associations to a lot of times, you know, the motivation is, is more just in terms of who are people that people think are important or command attention, celebrities, people, actors, whatever. I mean, who even play roles rather than people who actually know anything about it, you know? I mean, right, 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 right. Reflection on us of how kind of a knee-jerk response it is that, oh, so-and-so likes it, it must be good. I, I still think it's so instructive that uh, our, our team loses and we're not just upset, but it's changing the way 
we view our ability to perform tasks that have nothing to do with what we just watched. I mean, to, to, to me, there's there's so much you can extrapolate from that. And whether it's in, in Chapel Hill, it probably wasn't a particularly productive work week. What, yeah. What's your um, what's next? I mean, what, what are some other areas sports related that, that you're studying or you'd like to see studied? I mean, what, what's interesting you these days? Yeah, um, I have a, a really interesting uh, collaboration now with one of my students that uh, is looking at some of the different aspects of identity. And so one of the things that we've sort of started around is just that there's many different reasons why people get identified with teams. And so, you know, one of the things that's always been curious to me is how fans, even of the same team, can kind of segregate themselves based on different things. So one of the ones that I'm really interested in is the idea of kind of how morality gets gets played out in a lot of different facets of sports and particularly in fanship. So, for example... For some some allegiances, it's really important to not only root for your team, but to hate the rival. Right. Really hate the rival, right? And in other situations, people very readily, very readily just sort of absolve themselves of that. And it's like, I root for my team, but I don't wish ill on anybody else, right? I mean, that, that that's being the higher ground, right? I mean, or, you know, the idea of, we win at all costs as opposed to we do it the right way. So this should resonate to you in Indiana. That's always been the kind of thing of you know, students graduate here. We play basketball right, the right, right way right, and all that right, kind of stuff. Right. And so even if we don't win a championship, we have yeah. that integrity, right? And so right. you can really hold on to that. And then there's some pride in that uh, versus, you know, the kind of thing of, hell, we need to go out there and we need to do whatever we need to get those better players to come here and whatever those other schools are doing. We have to get on board and start doing that because we don't want to fall. You know? And it's just an interesting thing how this kind of moral relativity happens and how we judge different kind of behaviors uh, in sports so but, much but, but related is, is this... to you know, kind of what are the motivations that we're trying to achieve by that fanship we have. And we're finding that there's really big differences in that. And so how it is that, that people sort of, what are they trying to get out of uh, that kind of fanship? I think there's different motivations behind it. And as a result of that, we have really different reactions to a lot of the kinds of things we're talking about. So, but but do, do you mean, is that a personal differentiation or is that from fan culture to fan culture? Well, I mean, we've it's... been doing it from a personal perspective, but I would love to be able to do it from cultures because I think, you know, again, we have a ready population that, Football's not as as big a thing here. Basketball is, but I think within different kind of sports and within different kind of communities, I mean, there's probably a greater propensity of people why they like it is for this reason, and again, how how much they're embedded in a situation where win at all costs, or we hate the rivals, or you know something like that, as opposed to you know we we sort of pride ourselves in being good fans, right? I mean, we talk about different cities having you know places you don't want to play because the fans are really nasty or really whatever, as opposed to the good fans, right, who who appreciate the sport and they clap for the other side when, you know, things happen and, you know, stuff like that. So it, I, I think it would be interesting to do from a community or a cultural perspective as well as a personal one. I foresee a sabbatical for you in Foxborough, Massachusetts. That would be uh, awesome. <laughs> this, uh, this was great. We could go on all day. This, uh, yeah, sure. we're, we're, we're going to have you back. This, this is a, a sort of bottomlessly interesting topic. And I, I also think what's interesting about sports and fandom is that being a sports fan is a totally different exercise than it was 20 years ago in a way that yeah. these other forms of self-identification might not be. Yeah, no, it's, 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 tr- it's clearly evolving. And as, as certainly the media has changed and as 
as our you know accessibility to all this kind of stuff has changed, and the sports are changing as we know, right? I mean, so the rules are constantly changing for for different kinds of things. I mean, if we do pay athletes and stuff, you know, in the near future, and they aren't student athletes, I mean, how's that going to change yeah, the exactly. whole culture of exactly. collegiate sports? I, I have no idea, but it's going to change it. <laughs> Wait, let me ask you this. One, one last question I'd wanted to ask you, though, and you just uh, you just tipped me off, which is, do you think there's a material difference between being a professional fan where these are paid employees versus being a fan of college sports? And the, the, the theory you always used to hear is that college sports have this added advantage that nobody went to Indiana Pacers University, so you'll switch, but a Syracuse alum always went to Syracuse and will always care about the college team at their alma mater. Um, I wonder to some extent if that hasn't changed a little, but, but baseline question, I mean, do you, do you think there are substantial differences in all the stuff we've talked about self-identification and personal success and redounding and impacting moods and perceptions? Is there a difference, uh, pro versus college fandom? Well, I mean, the, the immediate thing that that triggers to me is why was Jordan at that national championship game? And then, of course, the whole thing of crying, you know, <laughs> yeah, going right, around right, and stuff right. like that of him getting really upset. because, And then him being interviewed by, I think it was Craig Sager, right, talking about, hey, that's where it all began. And so the allegiance he feels to that is, it, is would he have the same allegiance to the Bulls? And would he, if the Bulls were there, it's, you know, something like, did you have it the same professional sense that the people seem to do to – to their, you know, high schools or college, you know, right, it just right. seems like, again, it's a formative time in your life and the relationships you have with these people and how you live with them and stuff. It's just a very different experience for any of us that have that, you know, that the that, that things that happen during those formative times in your life and just the nature of, of, you know, the tutelage you have with that coach and the link you have with it and stuff, it's just, it's just different. So I can't imagine that for many people it, it is the same. And so to the extent that you even make a professionalism of those earlier experiences, uh, you know, is, is the same kind of investment going to be there? Is it, is it going to be the same kind of thing? I mean, it, it just doesn't seem like that's, that's even possible. So I think they are really qualitatively different, but I think it isn't necessarily just college versus pro. It's just like the features that are present in that kind of system and, and, and the nature of, you know, where people are in their life and also just the nature of what it requires of them personally in terms of their living situation and their maturing and stuff that that's happening there that creates a bond that is, is clearly unique from the situation where, you know, this is your job and you're a professional and, you know, you live apart and, you know, I mean, you just have a, a very different kind of relationship with the people you're working with. It's interesting. I, I was talking to um, an athletic director. He was saying that all the athletic directors are concerned about student attendance at games and that, you know, you look at some of these games, even the highlights on TV, and there's there's no one in the stands, and the student sections have disappeared. And for college football, you go and you get drunk at the tailgate, and a lot of times you don't even make it into the stadium. Right. And he right. said it's it's not about selling these eight dollar student tickets. It's that you look at our big donors and our big boosters in the athletic department and our big donors to the school in general, and so many of them had these formative experience through sports. And that was where their that sort of hardened their loyalty to the school. And he said, "Look, when we can, when we're concerned about student attendance falling off a cliff, mm-hmm. it's not in the present. It's forty years from now. Who are going to be our our big donors? Which which goes exactly to what you were saying that that, that there is something special about we have this this sort of window, this band in our lives, ages eighteen to twenty two, and we have these experiences. And this college loyalty is is much different in dimension than rooting for the Chicago Bulls." 
Yeah. And, and I think there's so many aspects of that that are, are relevant, too, because, it, it, you know, it's it's the living situation. I mean, right, one of the things universities are facing now is so many people are taking courses online and not even physically there, you know, I mean, right, right. to get things done. And so the question is, what is your degree of, of uh, allegiance to your school and if your sense of, of really, like, this, this shaped me, you know, that I am a product of, of this. I mean, it's really interesting. One of the things IU has had, Mark Cuban was you know, a student here. And, you know, obviously they want big donors like people like that to be investing in it. But he's come out in many situations and saying, you know, I love the whole experience. I mean, it really changed my life. Right. And if you can get people saying things like that, right, whether they're an athlete or just a student doing that, and whether it's a person or just being part of that community and that spirit around things or being involved in extracurriculars or whatever, but it's like, you have to live it, you know? And so, so the thing is, as much as people are more disconnected in so many ways, whether through technology, through the, you know, the, the nature of how education is happening, et cetera, it's like, what, how much is that going to erode those things? I mean, people still want it. And I think that's one of the drawing forces is why people go to places, but it isn't necessarily something that will just happen without us really trying to cultivate it and trying to realize, like, what is it that really does do that and give people that sense of commitment so that then if they are successful, they will be big donors and they will feel that need that this was, you know, that formative kind of thing that I want to get back to. So, right. yeah, it's really interesting. I was going to be a big donor to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, all right, this was uh, this was great. We're, we're going to have you back. We, we can do this all day. This was fantastic. Okay. This was a lot yeah, of fun. fun. All right, that was Professor Ed Hurt. Again, he is a psychologist. He's in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at Indiana University. We will try and post some of his sports-related studies on SI.com, so you can check them out and read them for yourself. But obviously, he's done a lot of really interesting research in this space. Thanks again for listening. Feel free to come with comments, suggestions, constructive criticism. All of it's appreciated. We'll be back soon with another Your Brain on Sports podcast. I'm John Wertheim. My collaborator, Sam Summers, is off, but we'll do it again soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good week. Thank you.